Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, as we are um, in a sermon series right now from the book of Ephesians. And um, <clears throat> the, the song that we just sang, as you'll see, comes right from uh, this passage in the NIV translation and some of the newer translations. As you open to Ephesians chapter 1, um, I would like to ask if you wouldn't mind if we would just have a word of prayer uh, together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for uh, the privilege of opening your word. And uh, we pray that our, our hearts uh, would be open. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, that we would see you today through your word. And that our lives would be affected and changed each time we spend time in your word. So bless your word. Might your words be heard this day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, before I begin, I did earlier we prayed for our, our missionaries and the mission work that goes on. I do want to say Phyllis McLean. Where are you, Phyllis? There's Phyllis. She's leaving on Friday to go to Africa with Rafiki once again. And as we know, we've been praying for Phyllis and with the condition with her eyes. And uh, God's enabled her to go again. And so she leaves on Friday. And we'll be praying for you, Phyllis, and pray God's blessing on you as the Rafiki ministry works with children in Africa in training and teaching and nurturing them and the things of the Lord. And we will get reports and we'll keep you in our prayers. And God bless you, Phyllis, as you serve uh, in Africa on the Lord's behalf. Now, Ephesians chapter 1, this morning, our, our, our scripture section, which obviously we're not going to be able to cover in great detail because of the time, would be verses 15 through 23. Last week, the last two weeks, we've been looking at the first part of this chapter. And uh, from verses 3 to verses 14, this uh, one long sentence in the original language, evidently, that Paul uh, 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 taught so many important things regarding God's call, uh, the words of election and so on we talked about, eternal security, the sealing of the Holy Spirit, that we are sealed until the day of redemption, that God has bought us and he will take care of what belongs to him until that day. And then we come to verse 15 where Paul says this. I'd like to just read this, this first section. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. It is kind of interesting as some of the Bible commentators look at that and say, well... Maybe Paul didn't write this. Maybe someone else did and used his name because he says, acts like he's never heard of them before. But that's not what he's saying. Paul knew these people. He spent 18 months with them. He trained them and taught them. But he's been gone. And while he's in prison in Rome under house arrest, he has heard afresh once again about how they are growing and reaching new people and maybe have planted new churches around Ephesus. And so this is why, even though he knows them well, um, as this ministry grows and, and, and uh, God uses it, he can say, ever since I've heard, we might say, I've heard afresh about your faith in Christ and your love for all the saints. I have not stopped giving thanks for you in my prayers. This idea of this consistent and continual prayer that Paul is giving on behalf of these people whom he loves and whom he is looking forward to hopefully seeing again. And just as a reminder to us as a church family, Again, as I mentioned earlier, there are so many people that are connected to our church family 
that are not even here today. Um, and uh, but they pray for us and we pray for them and we pray for one another. And as God as God brings people to your mind, if if for some reason God brings Phyllis to your mind during the next months, there's a reason for that. Pray for her. And sometimes you might wake up at two or three in the morning and God puts something on your heart. If the Holy Spirit is working in your heart, there's a reason for that. Pray for them. And Paul is praying for these people at Ephesus. He loves them dearly. He's praying for them. And let's look at what he's praying for. Here's what he, he tells us what, I, what he's praying for. He says, here's what I pray for you. I have not stopped giving thanks. And in verse 17, I keep asking. Notice his continual language. You know, that I'm, this is an ongoing thing. I continue to ask that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit, this is a mouthful, really think about wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. So the, the goal of his prayer is for the people to know God better. Why do we meet as a church family? Why do we meet churches across our neighborhood in Shoreline and in Seattle and around the world? Why do we spend time? Why, why on Tuesday night do the ladies come here for Bible study fellowship every week? Why do we gather in small groups? Why do we teach our children and how much energy and work and, and effort goes into our children in Christian education ministries. Why do we do these things? We do this so that we can continue to grow and know God better, to reach people for Jesus Christ, and to see them grow and mature, to know God better. It's not just to know about God. It's not just to know what His Word says. But by knowing God, as we know His Word, we are able to live it. As the Old Testament says, Joshua was, said, know to do. And so Paul says, my prayer for you, Ephesians, and he could say the same for us as Bereans, or churches in Shoreline all across our community, I'm praying that you would come to know him better. And this wonderful phrase, and he honestly says that God would give you a spirit, that he would give you this spirit and this understanding of wisdom and revelation. Those are big words. That the Holy Spirit would give you wisdom. If it, you know, the, the, you know, the Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, what? Ask for it. You know, how, often, how often do we stop and ask for wisdom? I mean, there are times when I'm talking with people and maybe they ask me a question or maybe we've got a serious thing they've asked my guidance on in counseling or, or whatever or somebody that's asking you about a big, deep question about the faith and, and just stop and pray quietly to God. Say, God, give me wisdom. Maybe you've got a decision on your plate right now that you need to make and, and decision time is coming down and you need to know what to do. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. The Bible says if we ask God, he gives generously. He's not a stingy God. He gives wisdom. So Paul says, I'm praying that God would give you wisdom and unveiling, revelation. This is the word apocalypse. We get the book of Revelation from um, to reveal that God would reveal these things, that you would come to know him better. And in verse 18, as we just sang, the, the newer translations say, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. And this, we're going to talk, before we talk about these three things he wants them to know, this is a beautiful phrase, that your eyes would be enlightened. And then this, this is the word that we get light from. That the eyes of your heart, the eyes of your heart, and I think, I think you know, you know we, we talk about, don't we, you know, Valentine's Day is coming up. And we associate love with the heart. And we all know the heart is the heart, you know. Um, 
you know, the doctors and the scientists might help us better understand, you know, the, the brain and the, you know, where are these emotions? Where are these? But historically, this idea of the, of the heart, in fact, in the Bible, we, you know, in the King James, and we have this phrase, you know, which sounds kind of odd to a lot of modern listeners today, the bowels of mercy. You know, we think of our intestines. Well, that's exactly right. Because in the Old Testament, in the, in the Bible language, they said, I mean, after all, uh, next time uh, you have a close call on, with your car and you stop, where do you feel it? You know, you feel it here or when you get nervous. And so this idea of this, this inner person, this who we are, he says that God would open those eyes of your inner self that, that where the true seat of our personality is, that he would open those eyes. He would enlighten them. He would allow light to come in so you could see, as it were, you could see. And here's what he wants them to see. And I think that this is perfectly applicable to us, to me, and to you today. I pray, and I'll give you a little acronym we can connect this with, HIP, H-I-P. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened, I'm in verse 18, in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. The hope to which He has called you. Now in the Old Testament, the idea of, of hope in God is produced by a trust in God. Earlier in this passage, Paul has talked about calling and election. God's chosenness, but the word is calling, that He has called us. And for you and I, as I look at my life, you know, there was a point in my life that I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. In my case, I was a, I was a young child. Some of you here, I know it's been more recent as an adult. Anywhere in between. But at that point in your life that you can say, I received Christ, I received salvation, you received that calling from God. I think we're kind of looking back this way. Paul is saying, the hope of that calling, that, that day in my life where, where I became a believer, I became a Christian, I received a hope, but it was the hope connected to that original call. And that's what I think Paul is talking about. The hope of your calling and that hope that God gave you has, a, has to do with His sustaining grace and power throughout your life. Here I am now, I'm 50-some years removed from that calling. But I look back on my life, and you can look back on your life. And I mean, I just simply ask you a question. Where would you be today without the Lord Jesus Christ, believers? What would your life be like? Who would you be serving? What would be your hope? And the hope of my calling, but it had its origin in my history at the point where God called me and has, and has been with me and it will last throughout eternity. The hope of your calling. Listen, being called, you know, that's a wonderful thing, being called by name. And when we're going to celebrate communion together in that tender scene where, the, where, they, where Mary comes to the, to the garden tomb and, 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 and the Lord is talking to her and she thinks it's the gardener and she and, and, and says, Miriam, Mary, to hear her name from the Lord's lips, there, isn't there something special about that? I mean, you, you know, you think about the time that you left home for the first time or were away and, and you picked up that phone and you heard that voice of maybe your mom or dad or your son or daughter or your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. Just to hear that voice across the miles. Is, is there something personal about that, that call? The Moses, 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 Abraham, 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 don't slay your son. We have been called by name. And it's very tender and it's very personal that God loves us so much that we have that hope. 
H, the hope of our calling. And then I want you to know, look at this next phrase here. And this is verse 18. We could spend a lot of time on this. I actually got kind of sidetracked on this. You know, when you're studying for sermons, every so often uh, you'll start, we say, a rabbit trail. I'm not sure where that phrase rabbit trail came from. Anybody know? Do rabbits run on trails? or I, They do? Okay, thanks, Jerry. All right, we'll talk some more about that. All right. Um, <laughs> All I know is, remember, we walk by Woodland Park and the rabbits see our dog, they just scatter. I don't know any trails, but, but this rabbit trail, you kind of search something down. And this phrase here, I ended up kind of searching down, and I'm just going to tell you what my conclusion is. Look at the last part of verse 18. First of all, he, it's the, he wants them to know the hope to which he's called them. That's the first thing. Secondly, he says here, the riches, I want you to know, and understand and be enlightened. I want the eyes of your heart to be opened up so you can see this. I want you to know the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Do you see that? In every translation you have here today, I looked in the King James, American Standard, NIV, they're all going to say pretty much the same thing. That you might know the hope of His calling and the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, what does that mean? There, there are basically two ways to take that. One is that Paul is saying, I want you to understand, Jim, you know, Rich, Doris, I want you to understand what are the riches of God's inheritance in you. That God has called you, which is true. That we have an inheritance, which is true. The riches of God's inheritance in the saints. The second way to take it, which probably is the most natural reading of the passage, if you were just to read this, this is what it sounds like it's saying. This seems to be the most natural. And this is all I want to suggest to you, Lisa, you consider this today. I want you to know the riches of God's glorious inheritance in you, saints. Meaning that, God has riches in us as His people. We are His rich inheritance. He purchased us. He died in the cross of Calvary. He, he, he paid with His own blood, His own life. He went to that cross and allowed humanity to do what they did to Him. And He purchased me. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And because of that, I have become God's possession. I am God's own. I am God's inheritance. And we collectively as a church, as the churches in our community, as the churches in Greater Puget Sound, as the churches in America, as the churches in the world, the churches in Africa where, where, where she's going to be ministering, Phyllis, and serving. We are, we are together God's chosen possession. We I think this is what Paul, I personally think this is what he's saying. I'll at least ask you to consider this. That seems to be a very natural reading. And some of the very uh, fine evangelical commentators that are much more expert in Greek than I am by any stretch of imagination have drawn this conclusion. What Paul is saying, I want you Christians, Ephesians, I want you to understand and I want your eyes to be opened that you understand that you are God's inheritance and He loves you so much. You belong to Him. You are His. And listen, friends, that means there is a day of great celebration coming 
when God is going to receive and we are going to I know we are spiritually seated in the heavenlies today, but we are here on earth. Over here, to my right, this beautiful flower arrangement that, the, that Joe Erickson's family brought for the service last Thursday. And, we, and, we, and I, we celebrated Joe's life. Yes, it's a time of loss, and we've been praying for Viola and for the family. But it was also a celebration of his life and to hear the testimonies and the words from friends and family and to, and to see how God had worked in his life. That, that he belonged to God. And when he left us, God received part of what the inheritance that belongs to him. That's just a day of rejoicing. And every day people are called into God's presence, but there's a day coming of the rapture, of the resurrection, where God is going to get... He is the head and we are the... What? The body of Christ. I mean, you, can you imagine, can you possibly conceive of me as just a body without a head? Huh? That would be kind of odd, wouldn't it, guys? Huh? Wouldn't it be kind of odd to just see my head here today and nothing else? That would really be odd. There's a unity here. And the Bible uses this language to talk about the body of Christ. He is the head. We are the body. We are united. We are in Him. We belong to Him. We are His treasured possession. And Paul says, I want you to understand that God has something. It's not just all about us. It's not all about me. That's my typical selfish nature to think of the world in terms of me. I'll be honest with you. I'll be the first one to admit that. This is about God. God has purchased us. God, this is why we believe in this doctrine of eternal security, because God knows how to take care of what belongs to him. And Paul says, I want you to understand this. I want your heart to be open that you to understand the riches of his glory. The hope of his calling, I, the inheritance, God's inheritance in the saints. And the last one I want you to think about before we take, receive communion together, verse 19. And Paul is just going to pile on these power words here. You know, words like mega, power, energy, Power. He's just going to pile them on here. I mean, it's just like there's no other way he can say this in, in, in any more than he does. His incomparably, verse 19, great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ. See how he's just piling these words on? when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only this present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under His feet, appointed to be head over everything for the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills everything in every way. And I want you to take this as we receive communion together today, friends. Paul says, Ephesians, I'm praying, I'm praying that God would open the eyes of your heart. We, we sang that this morning. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. What? I want to know you, that I might see you. And what Paul says here to these Ephesians is, I want you to understand the power that is available to you. It's the power that saved you. It's the power that sustains you. And it's the power that, listen, there is going to be a day of resurrection. We laid Joe's body in the grave this week. 
last week at Acacia Cemetery. We believe, as the Bible says, he is with the Lord today. But we also believe, as Paul says, I don't fully understand it. These are eternal things. These are heavenly things. We, we could not begin to understand, but there is a day of resurrection coming when the bodies of all of our loved ones and dear friends and the ones that we've never even imagined who they are for the last 2,000 years at least, 2,000 plus, there's a day coming. They are going to be raised from the dead. And Paul tells us, I want you to know this. He says, those of us which are alive will not precede. They will be raised and we will be changed. And somehow at that instant, if the rapture took place, if Christ returned today for us, somehow what you're looking at here is going to be changed into a body that is going to be fit for heaven. It's going to be me. We as Christians do not believe we just sort of meld back into the great something that is nothing. That's not, we have a very definite, clear hope. It is going to be me and you are going to be you, but it's going to be different. Just like Jesus Christ. It was Him, but it was different. And somehow, you and I are going to experience the power of God Jesus didn't just rise from the dead because it was on the schedule. He rose from the dead because the power of God was operative and the mighty power of God raised him from the dead and overcame and defeated death and Satan. And it was the power of God. And Paul says, listen, Ephesians, I'm praying that your eyes would be open." That they would be enlightened. That you would come to understand. That your eyes would get a, a better vision. A better, a better, clearer vision. You know, I take my glasses off. I don't see you quite as well. You know, Dr. Mahonison gave me a good prescription. I got a good pair of glasses. And I, and I see you much better. They, I see you so much better. And Paul is saying, the, I want your heart to see better. And I want you to understand what is your hope that you were called to. I want you to understand that you are God's prized inheritance. He loves you and He's going to bring you to Himself. And I want you to understand that that same power that smashed and destroyed death is working in you today. And it is available for you this day January 27th, thank you, 2013, that power is available and operative in you today. Yes, it is possible, friends. It is possible. In spite of our weaknesses, we can live a life of victory over sin in the flesh and over Satan by the power of God. That's what God wants you to understand. We're going to share communion together. This is a time of worship, a time of reflection, but a time of celebration. Listen, friends, this is good news. Amen? This is good news. It's good to have hope. It's good to be an inheritance of God. And it's good to have the power of God available. We look at our lives, we look at our children today, and, 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 and I've, I've now moved into that generation, you know, where... where um, you know, boy, how are they ever going to how are they going to make it? <laughs> you know, uh, we are what our parents used to say. You know, our grandparents. But you know what? 
That's God's business. You think God doesn't have power to help our children and our youth to live lives that can change this world, that can have an impact, that can bring glory to Him? That is the same God who raised Him from the dead, and He will do it. I'm going to ask our elders at this time. They're going to come forward. And what we're going to do is we're going to share the cup or the bread first to you today. And as I mentioned earlier, we'll, we'll pass it to you. And I'd like to ask you, if it, when the bread comes to you, this is a quiet moment, but it's not just a somber moment. It's a moment of celebration. And as you hold the bread in your hand, I want you to just thank God that He loves you. Now, I would hate to have anybody leave these doors today and not least have heard that God loves you. And God wants you to be part of His family and be part of His inheritance. And I want you to hold that bread and just give thanks and rejoice today that God loves us and that Jesus paid for our sins. Now the Jews have a tradition given by God on Passover. Uh, they eat unleavened bread. The leavening is removed. When they left Egypt on that night of the Exodus, when the angel of death passed over their houses, uh, there was no time to wait for the yeast to rise. God said, when it's time, you'll be ready. I am taking you by a mighty hand, by my power, and I am bringing you out of this place of slavery, and I'm bringing you to freedom. And so when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, he took that unleavened bread, he broke it, he gave it to each of them and said, I want you to eat this bread. And I want it to be a reminder that this is my body which is given for you. They couldn't have fully understood what he was talking about. But afterward they did. And it's the reason why the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians tells the church at Corinth, members of the body of Christ, eat this bread in remembrance of the death and the sacrifice of our precious Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to eat together and then have a moment of quiet prayer and give God thanks. Okay, we're going to serve the cup at this time and we're going to do the same thing. We're going to pass the cup to you and we'd like to ask you to hold the cup in your hands and just reflect on God's love and grace and mercy and of course, the cup represents the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross for our sins. The night our Lord Jesus Christ celebrated the last Passover with his disciples in a very wonderful section of scripture in the Gospel of John where he talks to them. And he says this to them as he begins this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. We probably memorize this. Uh, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. The Lord Jesus Christ uh, wanted these friends of his, these disciples. He was looking forward to them being with him. They too were his inheritance. And that was his heart's desire. There is going to be a time I, I want you to know I'm going there now. I'm going to prepare a place and I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you to myself and you can be where I am. And later on, he prays, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am 
to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. They had a hope. We too, we have a hope. The Apostle Paul, just before he died, we believe this was his last writing before he died. The Lord, the Paul says this to the Lord, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack, the power of God. Satan goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he might destroy. But Paul says, God will take care of me. God will provide. And he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. As we drink this cup today, I want it to be a reminder. Jesus purchased us with His blood. We belong to God. We are God's inheritance. He loves us. And He is going to bring us to Himself. And we are going to celebrate for all eternity to serve Him, to worship Him, And while we are here on this earth, God has given us a wonderful privilege of living lives that make a difference, that bring honor and glory to His name, because we belong to Him. Let's drink the cup and hold it quietly for a moment of prayer. Reminds us of the empty tomb, the power of God that raised our Savior and destroyed death. And we are yours today. Because you chose to love us and to call us to yourself. And to that, we give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now, I'm supposed to know what's going on here today. And, uh, but you may have noticed we missed a couple songs we were going to sing. Because uh, I didn't pay attention. So, come on up. Let's sing some of our songs. Come here, come here, come here. Turn off my mic for a minute, would you? Do we miss something? <laughs> We're going to close our service. You pick out there, Ellen. I want to hear you sing that last chorus one more time without the instruments. Sing it for me, will you? Jesus, sing it all. Oh, to Him I Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for each person that's come today. God, they could be anywhere this morning, but they've chosen to come and just to be with your family, to worship, lift their voices, to sing. Maybe they've come today, and again, Father, maybe they've heard something new today, that Jesus died for their sins. I pray you would open their hearts, that they might receive Christ as Savior. And friend, why not? Why wouldn't you say yes to God and receive Jesus' payment for your sins and receive forgiveness for sins and eternal life and be part of God's wonderful inheritance? Lord, we leave this place today and we're reminded of the verse that we memorized this week in our memory uh, verses. We cried out one to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth, is full of His glory. Amen.